today on Ag News Daily. But what concerns me a lot is the very high level of unemployment. Uh, we had an unemployment uh, 15%, nearly 15%. Uh, you know, that's the highest since the Great Depression. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing today? I'm not too bad, Mike. How about you? Not too bad at all. Came over to the Windy City today to record this week in agribusiness. Still doing everything remotely. Max Armstrong doing Zooms with uh, with Zippy Duval. And, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, Zippy, president of the American Farm Bureau, talked about how back in the 80s, farmers really had to think outside the box to uh, negotiate the times and to kind of save their, their operations and to thrive. And how this time, when we look back on you know Monday's USDA figures of $3 billion plus bushels of corn as carryout for next year, we might have to do the same thing. I thought that was an interesting, uh, mm. interesting approach. Well, that's very fitting because we're actually talking to someone from the Farm Bureau Association today. Ashton, tell us a little bit more about that. So we are going to have John Newton, Chief Economist for American Farm Bureau on today to talk to us about the increase in farm bankruptcies within the past 12 months or so. Yeah, bad news, but definitely need to talk about it. Keep up to date on what is happening across the broader farm ecosystem, for sure. Absolutely. Well, Delaney, we probably ought to dive into some news. What headlines are you keeping an eye on today? Yeah, you know, I think a couple of headlines that have jumped out at me today. We're expecting to see some high-level Chinese execs speed up their phase one purchases. So it really feels like we're receiving kind of two different messages. Um, You know, we've talked about and Brian Split talked about on Market Monday's episode that China feels that they need to tilt the the scales more in their favor for phase one, but they also sound like at the same time, they're trying to speed up those phase one purchases. So that issues some mixed signals to me. Yeah. And I've got just a follow-up piece to that because uh, you're right. It it is definitely mixed signals. Uh, there's this war of the words going on between President Trump and President Xi. Earlier today, President Trump he said he was willing to cut all contacts with President Xi in China. Of course, there's a lot of frustration about this coronavirus. And yet, China has this week made a very large soybean purchase. They have continued making very large pork purchases. As you mentioned, they are probably, or it sounds like, likely to accelerate their purchases of other ag goods. And earlier today, they approved American barley and blueberries for import into China. Now, the barley issue makes a lot of sense. They recently hiked duties on Australian barley. So now maybe they're looking for another supplier and the U.S. would be a great source for that. But yeah, Delaney, it's interesting to watch this take place. And it'll be interesting to see if China does actually manage through all of this craziness to come through and hit their $4 billion target. Yeah, absolutely. So it's something we're going to continue to be watching. Another thing that I've been watching pretty closely is what's going on out in Washington, D.C., specifically what's being done with this new potential $16 billion program that could offer direct payments to producers. It sounds like they're not quite ready for sign up yet, but the Department of Agriculture is urging producers to begin several steps of the application process ahead of its time. There's a webinar going on this afternoon specifically for producers, and they are going to talk through essentially all of the different programs that are going on right now 
and the different ways that farmers can receive payments under the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program and the Relief Program. So I believe that'll be happening this afternoon. I'm sure we will see some news come out of that, be able to maybe talk to a farmer that sits in on that. And actually, if any of our listeners are planning to be part of that webinar this afternoon and would like to share with us about what gets said in that meeting, feel free to reach out to us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I personally would love to know what is going to be discussed and explained. Are they going to offer any clarity? Is it more of just a, hey, we're thinking about you. We know you guys are going through a tough time. We're working on it kind of a meeting. Yeah, there was a webinar yesterday. I'm not sure which program it was in support of, but it was a USDA put on webinar about one of their assistance programs. I was uh, talking to a bunch of folks on Twitter. A few of them sat into it and they said it was 15 minutes long mm -hmm. and 14 minutes was spent directing people to the website. They answered no questions oh. and it wasn't uh, a great use of time. That's, so hopefully uh, today's is going to be more productive. Yeah, that doesn't really sound like something I would want to sit it on. Doesn't sound really valuable. Right. But folks, hey, here they're handing out $16 billion. If you got to sit in on a 15 minutes of worthless webinar, <laughs> get, your, get your hand in the pot. That's a pretty good ROI. I suppose. Um, I've got some news. This is news that has been uh, has been percolating really for about two days. It's not uh, not brand new information, but it continues to be discussed quite heavily amongst cattle producers. And this was a new bill introduced in the Senate. It's a bipartisan bill. This was introduced by Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa. He's the lead. Um, Co-signing along with him are Senator John Tester of Montana, uh, Tina Smith from Minnesota, those two are Democrats, Joni Ernst, Republican from Iowa, and Mike Browns, and Cindy Hyde-Smith, and Steve James. Uh, I apologize, a longer list of signers than I thought. And those folks are all Republicans have come together and they have put forward a bill that would require packing plants, beef packing plants, if they slaughter more than 125,000 head per year to purchase 50% of their slaughter capacity on the negotiated cash trade market. They wouldn't be allowed to price, you know, in some cases packers are 70, 80% priced with formula cattle. These would have to be purchased on the open market, so to speak, and they would have to be slaughtered within 14 days. Um, uh, there has been a lot of excitement about this bill from Cattle Twitter that I have been uh, following along with. But today, there was some pushback. NCBA, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, one of the largest uh, representatives of beef producers and packers, earlier today came out against this bill mm. from Senator Grassley. Uh, this bill, basically the same format was tried in 2002. It didn't go anywhere. The uh, Senator Grassley and the Associated Senators are hoping that with the crisis happening right now in the packing industry, with packers able to bridge this gap as their processing capacity has been down, they've been filling their lines with formula cattle, which has put downward pressure on the negotiated markets. They think right now there might be the public sentiment to help get this thing across the finish line. Uh, we'll continue to follow it. I've reached out to someone on Senator Grassley's staff to hopefully have them come on, walk us through some of the details on how this might work in practice. That'll be great. I hope uh, we are able to connect with their team. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find somebody and we might be able to pick John Newton's brain about it later today. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. Well, I want to take things global here for just a moment because as I think I reported, I don't know if it was earlier this week or last, we are continuing to move forward with a trade deal with the UK. And as a faith of goodwill, 
or gesture of goodwill, I should say, the United Kingdom is planning to lower tariffs on imports of U.S. ag goods to help move forward with a free trade agreement. This was reported by the Financial Times. We also, of course, it was last week that Brita, Britain and the U.S. formally launched their free trade negotiations and they've pledged that both sides are going to work very quickly towards this deal. And I think that that really is a good sign that the United Kingdom is planning to lower these tariffs. It does sound to me like they're willing to move forward. They're willing to move quickly. And hopefully that will be a new and improved marketplace for U.S. agriculture. All right. Well, we'll keep our eyes on it. That is something those things take a little bit of time to get done. But the timing might just work out well with the end of this coronavirus and perhaps the, the reopening or the the reacceleration of line speeds across uh, produce man packers in this country. Absolutely. I just have one other quick piece of news. The CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, earlier today published a letter and they sent this out to all the major exchanges and basically they said, times are volatile. They said, quote, we are issuing this advisory in the wake of unusually high volatility and negative pricing experienced in the May 2020 physically delivered West Texas Intermediate contract, the oil contract that went negative, and related reference contracts on April 20th. Basically, they say that exchange operators and brokerages need to protect markets from manipulation, and they need to be able to potentially intervene to protect customers. This is the first time since all of this craziness has happened that we've really had the CFTC write kind of an open letter like this, urging folks to be careful and be cautious. Commodity markets are highly volatile. And when there's an incredible amount of uncertainty, as we have right now, that volatility can move to unprecedented levels. All right. Well, Mike, I uh, think I am all out of... Oh, wait, I lied. I have one other piece of news uh, because this touched a special place in my heart. So I don't think a lot of our listeners know this, but I actually studied abroad during college in Bulgaria, and that's in southeastern Europe pretty close to Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, etc. But I thought this was interesting. An article today that was associated with agripulse.com said that Bulgaria's appetite for U.S. agriculture is growing pretty quickly here. They're not going to be a huge player probably anytime in the near future, but it does seem that they have been importing significantly more U.S. beef, soybeans, fruit, vegetables, seafood, peanuts, and pistachios. We've seen the U.S. Department of Foreign Agricultural Service put out numbers showing that Bulgaria imported $24 million worth of U.S. ag and food commodities. And they also went on to show that a deeper dive into Bulgaria's National Statistics Institute shows the actual number was closer to $64.3 million of U.S. agricultural goods. So uh, I, I was excited when I read that. Yeah, that's great news. Anytime we can find foreign buyers, you know, Delaney, you just need to reach out to your contacts over there in Bulgaria. Mm, you yeah. have to buy some ethanol. Okay. Well, folks, in spite of Bulgaria's purchasing, we still saw the grain markets down on the day. Delaney, before we talk to John, should we jump into the markets? Let's do it. All right, folks. Corn was lower, but not substantially. July corn down three quarters of a cent at three seventeen and a half. The December contract also lower by three quarters of a penny, closed at three thirty one and three quarters. Over in soybeans, July was off two and a half cents at eight thirty seven even. November new crop down one and three quarters to close at eight forty three and three quarters. Wheat was mixed. Chicago contract July up half a cent at five oh two and a quarter, while the December was off three quarters of a cent at five fifteen and a quarter. 
Volatility continued over in livestock. The June live cattle contract was up 25 cents at 94.1250. The August down $1.4250 at $97 even. Feeder cattle lower on the day. The August contract was down $2, two and a half cents at 131.05. The September down $1.85 at 132.52.50. And in hogs, mixed trade today, the June contract up 87.5 cents at 58.75. The July down 32.5 to close at 58.80. Looking over at the world of dairy, class three milk rally continues. The May contract up 37 cents on the day at 12.45, while the June was up another 75 cents to close above $16. Finish the day at 16.10 in class three milk. Without further ado, let's get into details of farm economy with our friend John Newt. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. The science of sealing an engine or mechanical device has gone through many evolutionary changes over the years. Many applications do not even use a form gasket, but instead are made leak-free by employing an RTV sealant that is anaerobic. RTV stands for Room Temperature Vulcanizing, while anaerobic describes a sealant that will cure in the absence of oxygen. A common mistake that often results in a failed repair is employing an RTV sealant at a temperature out of its curing range. Do not confuse the acceptable operating temperature range with the curing and use temperature. The industry considers room temperature to be between 60 and 90 Fahrenheit degrees. Do not use RTV at a temperature below that or on a hot engine where the surfaces can be over 150 Fahrenheit degrees. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit FarmMachineryDigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles. As I mentioned earlier today, we have American Farm Bureau Chief Economist John Newton on this afternoon to talk to us about the trend in farm bankruptcies that we've seen over the past 12 months. John, last time I checked, it was about 23% increase in farm bankruptcies. Can you just give our listeners a little bit of background information on this trend that we've been seeing? Well, we've been monitoring, you know, really the, the farm economic situation for some time. Uh, farm income and commodity prices have been depressed really since uh, 2014 for a lot of the major commodities, your, your livestock products, your, your major crops. Uh, and that's really weakened uh, farmers' financial position. And so what we saw uh, the last 12 months ending in March is, is 627 uh, Chapter 12 bankruptcy filings. Again, that was up 23% from the uh, previous 12-month period. Uh, and, and it was the third highest level that we've seen in, in over 20 years. Now, it's well below what we saw in the 1980s when we had the last uh, farm financial crisis. One reason for that is, is very high interest rates in the 80s. Uh, but still, this is an alarming trend. It certainly is, John. And when you look at this trend, I mean, the past 12 months, we've had all sorts of issues going on. What would you attribute a majority of these bankruptcies to? I'd probably, you know, list it in three ways. You know, the first is, you know, we had low commodity prices really beginning in, in 20, 2015, uh, milk prices, corn prices, soybean prices. I mean, you name it, everything 
uh, fell, uh, in some cases, by as much as 50%. And on top of that, demand uncertainty with respect to the trade agreements that we've been working on. The administration came in and did provide some financial support to producers. Um, but so you had those two, two issues. Uh, and when you look at where the, the bankruptcies have occurred, uh, you know, Wisconsin leads the country. And I think it says something about, you know, the state of the dairy industry, the number of dairy operations they lost uh, in 2019 was the highest ever. Uh, and so having very high bankruptcy aligns with that. Absolutely, John. I mean, it is heartbreaking to see, as you mentioned, I mean, they're up significantly, but the levels are still still very low considering the number of farms we have across the country. However, this was pre-COVID. Now we're heading into this time period where we have seen cattle feedlots really suffering. We've seen pork producers really under pressure. Milk producers, that pressure has continued for the past several months. As you travel around the country, as you talk to different Farm Bureau members, do you think the situation has deteriorated in farm country since these numbers came out? Well, I think, you know, two things. One, it depends on what the, what the recovery looks like. You know, we, we've seen uh, some commodity prices uh, regain some of the losses that they suffered uh, in, in, in April. Uh, you know, are we going to see a V-shaped recovery or more of a prolonged Nike swoosh recovery? I happen to think it'll be the latter. Uh, but you have seen some commodity prices uh, rebound. I think it also depends on uh, what the coronavirus food assistance program looks like and how much support uh, that provides to producers. That's going to be some much needed financial support. Uh, but what concerns me a lot is the very high level of unemployment. Uh, we, we had an unemployment, uh, 15%, nearly 15%. Uh, you know, that's the highest since the Great Depression, uh, not the Great Recession, the Great Depression in the 30s. And so uh, that, that's going to have an impact on off-farm income. It's going to have an impact on uh, farm families' ability to service uh, what, what today is a record amount of farm debt. So it, it does you know, give me a lot of concern in the next three to six months uh, for, for folks that are already uh, in pretty tough financial positions. Some people maybe had good marketing and, and risk management plans in place to, to bridge the gap on coronavirus, but for those that, that were already cash-strapped, uh, coronavirus only makes it worse. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly does. It's kind of heartbreaking, too, to see friends and neighbors facing tough times this year. But especially when it comes to the COVID-19, it seems like Congress is working at rather slowly, maybe on some phases of production. But do you think the stimulus packages that the administration is putting out, do you think those are going to be enough to fix what is going on or does it feel like more of a short-term band-aid? I think it's, you know, what we saw in the CARES Act was, was certainly a good down payment uh, for agriculture, gave the secretary uh, nine and a half billion. Uh, that money should be walking out the door uh, very soon. Uh, USDA is, is, you know, engaging with producers and, on how they're going to need to go in and sign up. Uh, the secretary then has another $14 billion that will be available to him in July. Uh, and, and then the, the HEROES package that was introduced in the House, uh, set to take a vote uh, soon, uh, gives another $16.5 billion uh, in direct payments. Farm Bureau, we've been asking for the Commodity Credit Corporation uh, to be uh, authorized at, at the full $68 billion level. Uh, CCC hasn't been revisited since 1987. And if you adjust for inflation, USDA has, should have much more 
financial resources available to them to help agriculture. So I think when you look across the sector, the impact to old crop uh, products, new crop demand and prices, and then what's happened to our livestock markets, uh, probably a lot more than 16 billion, might be in, in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 billion, and that doesn't even include specialty crops. So uh, there's a lot of people have lost a lot of money uh, when you shut down the economy, and it's, it's definitely impacted agriculture. Absolutely. John, now for those of us who aren't really plugged into the ways of Washington, D.C., to get the CCC funded up to that level, is that something that can happen through one of these emergency bills, or do we have to wait for the budgeting process? Is this going to have to take a year if, if such a thing were to happen? It, it, it could certainly happen through one of these bills. Uh, early versions of the first CARES package uh, had the CCC funding uh, up to $50 billion. And I think that there's there's been some efforts to do that. That it wasn't in the House package. Uh, you know, maybe we could see it in the upper chamber, uh, the Senate. You know, when they decide to work on this, it may be several weeks. I think the Republicans want to see how the first stimulus package uh, works as states start to reopen before they start to think about uh, what a what a second or or fourth COVID package uh, needs to look like. But uh, you know, I, I think. You know, for, the, for how Washington, D.C. works uh, and, and what these aid packages have done, we could certainly, definitely do that uh, in this package. John, with everything going on right now, and like we've discussed, um, going on with COVID-19, what can farmers do right now to, to keep themselves from going bankrupt in these tough times and becoming a part of that statistic? Well, I, I think, you know, farmers are uh, resourceful. Uh, they're, they They've weathered the storms. They deal with Mother Nature, uh, but but right now, you know, if 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 you know if you can't get access to the financial resource, you know, work with your lender. Uh, interest rates are historically low. Uh, we've asked the the department to provide some guaranteed loans to producers to help them uh, bridge the gap. But I would encourage folks to work with their lenders to try to uh, find a way through this. Uh, and, and hopefully the, the CFAP package, the coronavirus food assistance package, will also put some much needed uh, working capital on producers' pockets uh, to help offset some of the losses that we've experienced uh, in the first and second quarter. John, before we let you go, American Farm Bureau, of course, is the voice of uh, millions of farmers across the country, grassroots organization. If we've got listeners right now who have thoughts and opinions, they want to see if they can form into policy What's the best way to get in touch with Farm Bureau? Well, I think, you know, we're, we're grassroots up. And so what that means is, uh, you know, join your, your county Farm Bureau, go to your county Farm Bureau meetings, uh, go to your state Farm Bureau meetings. That's where our policy starts. It starts at those, those county Farm Bureau meetings, goes through the state, and then works all the way up to our annual convention uh, each January. And we update our policy book every year uh, based on what, uh, our voting delegates uh, ask us to do. Uh, so if you're if you're in agriculture, you're not a Farm Bureau member, but you want to have a voice, uh, you want to have a voice in Washington, D.C., uh, visit your, your local Farm Bureau office and, and get started. Well, John Newton, American Farm Bureau Chief Economist, thanks for taking the time to chat with us and to fill us in on this, uh, this situation with farmers going bankrupt in the U.S. We appreciate your time. Thanks so much.
All right. Well, again, a big thank you there to John. Not such a fun topic, but definitely a topic that needs to be talked about. And Ashton, I've got to give you some pretty big props there for your first interview. I thought you did a fantastic job. Thanks so much. Yeah, it just takes practice, practice, practice. And, you know, you're off to a good start, Ashton. So we're excited to have you. Listeners, if you want to check in on any other podcasts where, you know, we've tried to ask the deep questions on sombering issues like farm bankruptcies here today with John Newton, check out our website. Visit agnewsdaily.com. It'll connect us with all our past episodes as well as click around. You can get connected with the other podcasters on the Global Ag Network or visit us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Ag News Daily. With that, uh, Delaney or Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.